history of the franchise. Here we go, They're seven seconds. Deep. Berkovici, he's just going to air it out deep downfield, and uh, no white shirts around. Oh, oh, touchdown! It doesn't get any better than What is up, guys, and welcome back to another episode of the Red Shirt Podcast. We're in the swing of football season. I don't know what to tell you. Uh, this week, we have a break from college football for the most part. And so, naturally, that leads us to the NFL. And I have recurring guest Jackson Powers here to break it all down with you. me. Jackson, how are we doing? Uh, I'm doing great, Jeremy. It's a, it's a beautiful Saturday morning. Um, just just ready to, ready to break down the end of this football season. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm ready to get into it. This is a big – I think this is a big week for both of our teams. Um, so let's just get right into it. Speaking of my team, uh, we're going to be picking the NFL games, uh, spread in mind, giving some analysis, pretty cut and dry. First game on our board, the New York Jets are 10-point underdogs going to the Buffalo Bills. Jackson, what are we thinking? I am expecting a little bit – more, I, I don't know that we're quite predicting an upset here, but the line of Buffalo minus 10, I think is outrageous given that the Jets won the last meeting between the two. And it's because they completely shut down this Buffalo passing game. And there hasn't been any significant change to their defense since then. I don't think there's any reason to expect that Sala's defense gives the Bills nightmares once again. You look at this cornerback duo, we have DJ Reed and Sauce Gardner probably the best cornerback tandem in the league. I'm very high on both of these guys. And they did a great job of just taking away the Bills passing options. Stefan Diggs had probably his worst game of the season. Um, Gabe Davis and Isaiah McKenzie and company were not really able to do anything. And then you combine that with just probably the deepest front four in the league. The pass rush was torching this offensive line and this offensive line the bills kind of like to build it like a bunch of very average mid-tier guys so they don't really have to be paying that top dollar for their offensive line this jets defensive line is going to crush them once again and it's going to make them rely on the running game which they did last time and they just couldn't get it done they couldn't get it done on this front four because holes just weren't opening up um it's going to once once the running game is taken away Josh Allen's going to have to really make some plays. I just don't know how much I see it on this Jets defense. And then you look at the other side of the ball. Now that Zach Wilson has officially been benched for what I expect to be the rest of the season, I think Mike White should be a pretty solid option for them going forward. And it looks like this team has it pretty figured out on offense with exception to the quarterback. The, The weapons look awesome. I was very high on Garrett Wilson coming out of this draft. He was my wide receiver one. Same thing with Elijah Moore. I had... I think a late first, early second round grade on him. I was very high on him. Hasn't been used a lot, but I do think he's a legit talented option. Um, and then now that Michael Carter is likely going to be back, I think that they're going to have a lot to look, a lot more to look forward to, to this running game. It's not going to be as much Zonovan Knight as we've seen. So I think that the Bills still take this because don't get me wrong, definitely the better team. But minus 10 is a little bit crazy to me. And I am absolutely hammering that jet spread. I mean, I think you put it very well. I think 10 points is kind of outrageous just as a baseline number considering the Jets not only won last last time these teams met up, but I also think the Jets are have gotten better since they they played not in terms necessarily of win-loss, but in terms of getting healthy. 
Um, they have Corey Davis back. They have uh, George Fant back. They made the quarterback change to Mike White, which I think is definitely a, a positive for the team. And overall, I, I, I do agree. I think the Bills, it's going to be a bit of an uphill battle in terms of there, there's there's sometimes where that offense is just able to absolutely dominate a defense. And then you go against a Jets team that proved last time that they can they can limit it. You know, Josh Allen's gonna make plays, but he's also gonna, you know, make some turnover worthy plays. I think uh he's obviously improved that from like his rookie year when that was a clear, like brutal flaw, but he's still not immune to the turnovers. Um and the Jets defense is gonna get to that, I think. With the pass rush, you made a really good point. Quinnen Williams is having an all-pro caliber season, and I think it's going to be really tough to stop him, especially if if you're going to allocate two guys to him. Or even there was one funny photo from the Vikings game last week of three guys guarding him. Uh, the the ends are no slouches. I think Carl Lawson can have an impact. I like Bryce Huff on third, fourth downs. The Jets' offense, I think it, it, it's really close. And I don't know if Buff- facing a solid Buffalo defense is exactly what's gonna have it humming on all on all cylinders in terms of I think Mike White the stats don't look fantastic from last week but he made some very impressive throws um, I think overall he played a fine game and the, the biggest thing for this offense is Garrett Wilson is so fantastic and if he had competent quarterback play the whole year he would be. I think both the runaway favorite for offensive rookie of the year, which we'll talk about later. And also like, like definitely a pro bowler, the guy he's either getting most weeks. He has incredible separation. He's getting wide open. And sometimes that's like Zach Wilson missing him. Um, Last week, he wasn't even getting elite separation. He was just making fantastic plays on the ball. Um, So he's, he's an absolute stud where I'm worried in terms of this is I don't think the jets are going to be able to run the ball. They weren't able to run the ball last time. Uh, they're obviously better with Michael Carter here. I expect James Robinson to be a healthy scratch as well as I think uh, Zonovan Knight will have an impact. I don't think you will see as many touches, but I think we'll maybe see some change of pace trying to get something going. Um, and yeah, I, I think the Jets will keep up, but I think ultimately when push comes to shove, it, it's really hard to pick against the Bills just in, in crunch time, especially at home and it's really hard to beat a team twice i think the jets will definitely put up a good fight and i really want to pick them because i think a win would give the jets just such an exponentially better chance of making the playoffs and i think a loss would be incredibly detrimental but i am taking the bills 24 20 uh to cover the spread one question for the bills they've been without matt milano a ton i think with him back in the lineup that's going to make them a lot better and, and give the jets more problems um, next game we have, we have the Cleveland Browns at the Cincinnati Bengals. The Bengals are five and a half point favorites. I'm, I'm taking the Bengals as the favorites. I think that there is a very big disparity between the two teams. The Browns obviously just got Deshaun Watson back. And if you watch that first game of him last week, he looked really rough. He just looked like he has not played football in quite some time. It looked to me like he was just ripping the football insanely hard and didn't really know how to release it. You saw that there were a bunch of balls that were just spiked into the turf. And I don't know how long I see that continuing for. I feel like that's something that will kind of leave him as time goes on, but I don't really think I trust this passing attack. The Browns put up 
27 last week against the Texans. And basically none of that was offensive points. We saw a pick six, fumble return for a touchdown. You name it. We saw it from the defensive side of the ball, putting points on the board for the Browns. And that's actually what won, won them the game. The Browns offense does look nice outside of Watson right now. The offensive line always is great. Nick Chubb is the best running back in football, but I think the receivers have been a really nice surprise for them this year. Amari Cooper looks awesome. And looking back at that trade, the Browns gave up, I think a fifth rounder for him. And part of the reason for that is because his contract was really big and the Cowboys did not want to pay that. They kind of wanted to just lean on CD for a little bit smaller of a price. But Cooper right now is definitely living up to that contract, especially when you see how largely the receiver market was reset this year, given Christian Kirk deals like 24 million a year, I think it was. Like Huge. receivers are just getting paid. Uh, yes, receivers are just getting paid a lot more right now because teams are just seeing how valuable they really are. And I think when you look at Cooper's contract, I think it's right around 20. It's like you would be totally fine paying that for him, given only a fifth rounder is really huge for the Browns. But I think that the Bengals are one of the least talked about sleeper Super Bowl teams in football right now. Joe Burrow is having just a sneaky MVP caliber year. I think there's a big disparity between him last year and him this year. And part of it is because he's just getting the ball out quicker. He has, I think, a, around a 0.1 or 0.2 quicker time to throw this year, which is huge because defensive defenses have started taking away the deep ball because that's absolutely what they've thrived on last year. T Higgins, Tyler Boyd, Jamar Chase, all great deep threats, but now Burrow is getting the ball out quicker and he's taking a lot less stupid sacks. He's really cleaning up these weaknesses. And I think he is going to be incredible going forward, especially when you look at this Browns defense. Now that Joe Mixon is back after missing two games with a concussion that he suffered against the Steelers, um, I think that he is going to run all over this Browns front seven because they just cannot defend the run. I'm expecting a big Bengals win here, and I am hammering that minus five and a half favorites. I concur. I really don't have a ton to add to it, except when we were talking about Mari Cooper, Mari Cooper's been fantastic, a very important part for the Browns. He is questionable going into, into the Sunday, and there hasn't really been a clear indication in terms of likely to play, unlikely. Um, if he's not playing, it's hard to feel great about this for the Browns, especially considering the way Deshaun Watson played. And I think in general, we'll see him progress and improve because he is, look, in general, there's a reason that they made this move for him. He's a talented player, but I I don't know if it's going to be back immediately. I think Nick, you know, you obviously know what Nick Chubb does, but I I don't know if you can necessarily against this potent Bengals offense, be able to ride Nick Chubb all the way to a victory considering last week the Bengals got a huge win over the Chiefs. They just looked fantastic. Uh, you said it, Burrow, Burrow's looked great. Um, especially you consider that he wasn't without, or he was without Jamar Chase for, for an extended period of time. Jamar's back. And I, I really just, I, I think the Bengals will handle this, especially considering last time it was weird Browns beatdown of the Bengals. Um, I believe that was one of the first games with Jamar out. But I mean, either way, it was, the NFL is weird like that. It's just stuff like that happens. However, I do like the Bengals in this one pretty handily. I have, I have the Bengals winning 31 to 20. Um, next game, we have the Houston Texans taking on the Dallas Cowboys. What I, I imagine would be the biggest spread of the year. The Cowboys are 17 point favorites. 
Uh, not really a lot to talk about about this game, but you said it. This spread is absolutely massive. Maybe the biggest I've ever seen. 17 is really rare for a spread that you'll see at the NFL level. Um, but I'm still going to take it. The Texans are far and away the worst team in football. Now that they're turning back, excuse me, turning back to Davis Mills rather than Kyle Allen, I don't really see much out of this passing attack. I do like Damian Pierce on the offense. Um, really good rookie running back. And for a while was probably the offensive rookie of the year favorite. The only other really shiny piece on this offense is Laramie Tunsil. He's been one of the best tackles in football this year. And I think has a little bit flown under the radar, but not a lot to brag about, about this team. The Cowboys, one of the most explosive teams in the league on the offense, they can hit you with the passing attack. CeeDee Lamb has been a really great receiver. Dalton Schultz is starting to pick it up, but the running game is really what looks great for them right now. You've got the, the timeshare between Pollard and Zeke is starting to evolve a little bit more into Pollard's favor. And if you are a diehard redshirt podcast fan, Jeremy and I have been talking about this for a long time. Pollard is the guy to be going to on this team. And we've been saying it for the past year and a half or so. We've been, we've been some big Pollard truthers. And now that he's finally getting his touches, uh, the Cowboys rushing attack looks much more dynamic than it has in previous years where they were just feeding Zeke and getting those just four yard just push through gains every single time Zeke's a good bell cow back and that's why they're giving him a lot of touches on the goal line but Pollard's the one that's going to give you those super explosive runs um this Cowboys team can attack you in so many different directions Micah Parsons looks really great Trayvon Diggs might be the best cornerback in football right now um yeah this this game's going to be a blowout I like the 17 point spread even though it's so massive but the disparity in talent between these two teams is so large that I'm willing to give the benefit of the doubt to Dallas. Not only is Dallas at full strength or with the Texans at full strength, much better than the, the Texans. The Texans will be without their top two pass catchers, Nico Collins, Brandon Cooks, without their rookie cornerback, Derek Stickley. And this is, it's going to be a blowout. I, it is going to be a massive blowout. And the thing about the Texans that makes it tough is Damian Pierce is a stud of a running back. He's been a fantastic find. But when they're gonna be when you're playing from behind, it's tough to really to win behind that. And and in a game against the Cowboys, where there's such a big disparity, like I think the Texans, I think I'm trying to think, against a more mid-tier team, like let's say they're playing the Jaguars or something. I think it might be easier to keep it close enough where the running game can be important. But I think Cowboys Cowboys are a team that's going to start hot. Um, their offense can be potent. And it's it's really going to be hard to to work behind Pierce in terms of in terms of winning this game. I think the only way that they win this game is I mean, I guess if Dak were to totally implode, but I'm taking I, I mean I'm taking the Cowboys uh, with it, covering the 17. I think it'll be an absolute beatdown. I'll say 41 to 10. I, I think this is going to be one of the most dominating games of the year. Next on the agenda, we have an interesting divisional matchup with the Vikings taking on the Lions. The Lions, the favorite in this game, two point, two point favorites. Yeah, Jeremy, I'm just as shocked as you to see the Lions as as the favorites of this game, even though they're at home field, I think the Vikings have far and away been the better team. They are 10 and two granted. Some of those wins haven't really been incredible showings, but like this team has, has gotten some good wins and they showed out really well as of recent. And I think that the lions have some answers, but this is not a team that I see just 
mowing down a 10 and two, very legit Vikings team. Um, I expect a very big shootout out of this game. We see two offenses that are very hot right now against two defenses that I don't really expect to have a lot of solutions. Justin Jefferson is on an absolute tear right now. He is making incredible catch after incredible catch, and he is just putting up massive numbers like we thought he would going into the season. He looks like, I think he is the second best receiver in football right now behind Tyree Kill, but there's certainly an argument for him at this point. And on the line side of the ball, I'm expecting big game out of Amon Ross St. Brown. I don't think that the Vikings are, I don't think they really have the answers in the secondary to defend that kind of slot power where Amon Ross gets the ball. He's a really good run after catch ability. I think we're going to see a lot of, a lot of those big chunk plays from him. I expect some 30, 40, 50 yard catches, catch and runs out of, out of Amon Ross St. Brown. The other thing that's really interesting to the Lions the other thing that's interesting about the Lions, excuse me, is their rushing attack right now. Because going into the year, a lot of people expected a major DeAndre Swift breakout. And I was never really on that train because I think he really does have some issues as a running back. His big playability is awesome, where he can just easily um, be one of the most explosive running backs in the league. But his issue is that he doesn't run enough north to south, where he is just trying to turn plays to the outside when they don't really need to. He's missing his holes. And I think that this team is just kind of done with it. And it's why they've been giving Jamal Williams a lot more touches. Swift has started to evolve in the backfield a little bit more as of late, but it's been a pretty even timeshare and both are getting legit touches. Jamal Williams leads the league in rushing touchdowns right now. I think he's at 14, which is crazy. He's just insane to go out. It's, it's, It's insane. Like he's just a staple to go out and get one every single week. Um, So there's a lot of different ways that these offenses can attack each other and not a lot of ways for these defenses to stop it. So I am hammering both the Vikings spread and money line. I think that this will be a really high scoring game, but I'm really not sure why the Lions are favorited despite being at home. They're just clearly not the better team to me. So before I get into my pick, I'm looking up, I want to look up Jamal Williams game by game stats because I I don't. I'm sure that there's there's a week that he didn't score a touchdown, but it feels like he scored a touchdown every single week. Even if he yeah. there are games where he has like 20 yards, but he has a touchdown. Like let's let's yeah. Um, I think I think it's like part of it is because like Swift got hurt, and I think that when when you look at his tape, I I think that Dan Campbell's a guy who really likes a more consistent and reliable runner, and that's why Swift has kind of not commanded that same role once he got back but yeah okay so he has four games without a touchdown however one two three four he has five games where he has two plus touchdowns i mean that's that's just incredible like the week his week one where he his week one where he had two touchdowns he had 11 carries for 28 yards it's hilarious like the the thing about jamal williams kind of getting into the breakdown of this i don't think he's necessarily uh fantastic runner like I don't think he's by any means a pure running back one but I think the system they have going right now with him and Swift especially with Swift he's looking more comfortable right now um although I mean the one thing about DeAndre Swift when you watch him is the vision is is painful he really does not see the field well but the way you mentioned his big playability I think they're honestly a pretty good tandem there um and the Lions is weird I mean 
you know, make fun of him all you want. Yeah, he's not going to be considered one of the better quarterbacks in the league. But Jared Goff is doing his job. Um, by no means would I rank him high in, in a quarterback, you know, comparison. But the guy's doing his job. And then you have Amon Ross St. Brown that's just having a fantastic year. I think he's poised to have a huge game. Uh, in general, with the the secondary of the Vikings is is weak to begin with, and they've been dealing with injuries as well. Justin Jefferson, I won't get into the arguments about best receivers necessarily, but I think he's the most impressive receiver because everything the guy does is just incredible. Like I don't know that his stat line against the Jets last week it wasn't great, but he made like two or three catches where he got absolutely blown up. And I don't know if there's, like, another receiver in the league that could hold on to those balls. He's just so dynamic. I, again, I don't like getting into the wide receiver debate because I think you could argue, like, five different guys for, for being the top receiver. But he is going to have a monster game, especially with Jeff Okuda questionable. It looks like he's trending towards playing, but going into it with an injury designation is close. And I think the Vikings are the clear better team. However, football's a crazy game. And I think that the Lions are playing good football. I think they're going to make enough plays. Ride the, ride the hot hand. Motor City Dan Campbell pumping up the team. This is just a gut feeling. I'm taking the Lions. I'll have them covered by a score of 31-20. It should be pretty offensive. You know, some sometimes you got to break out. I know they're the favorite, but I think it's fair to consider that an upset. Um, next game we have on the docket, another divisional matchup, the Jacksonville Jaguars taking on the Tennessee Titans. Now, this is, this is an interesting game to me because I think it's one that could go a lot of different ways. The line right now is at Tennessee, three-and-a-half-point favorites. I'm really on the fence about which one I'm going to take, but I think I'm going to take Jacksonville's spread. Um, but it's it, it really could go either way. Jacksonville's offense, particularly Trevor Lawrence, is super sporadic and inconsistent. You never really know what you're going to be getting out of this team. Uh, last week, Lawrence had a scary injury, was able to come back. Reports are saying he's questionable to play this week, but my guess is that he plays considering he was able to come back in that game. I don't think that that's going to hold him out for this one. Um, but Lawrence, kind of his trend on the season is that there's a lot of random like masterclasses out of him. And then just some where it's like, he looks absolutely horrible. I think it was against the Eagles where it was a rain game and he turned the ball over like five or six times. Like there's just such a high range of how Lawrence is going to play. I feel really good about him for like the future, but but this season, it's really inconsistent. And this is a really good Titans defense that we're talking about here. Jeffrey Simmons is, I think, maybe the best interior defensive lineman in football right now, which is not something that we've been saying, considering considering Aaron Donald has been kind of that dominant force. But, but between his injury and he looks a little bit aged, I think it might be Simmons right now. He's one of the best run defenders in the league. And... I don't, he, he's, he's awesome to me. Um, but the thing that really, I think is not talked about a lot about this Titans defense is, is the scheme. I cannot remember his name, but I remember I was watching Titans film and just seeing the type of stuff that they do. 
it's so perplexing on a quarterback, especially a young one like Trevor Lawrence. I could really see him being baited into it baited into a lot of turnovers. We see a lot of like very interesting disguised coverage where they'll like pull linebackers back into a cover two or something like that. It, it's very, very confusing to to read as a young quarterback. But um on this Titans offensive side of the ball, it really has not been that dynamic other than Derrick Henry has had a really great year, despite the fact that there's no real passing attack on this offense. Traylon Burks has started to show some life, but after that nasty concussion he took last week, he he's already been ruled out. And I would not be surprised if he misses a couple weeks because that was an absolute shot. Had Traylon Burks been playing, uh, this could be a different story because I really think he adds a lot to this passing attack. But I think that this Titans offense is just not dynamic enough to get it done. And, and I'm expecting enough out of the Jaguars where I'm thinking I think that they could win in a really close one. But I, I'm not going to pick who I think is going to win this game. All I'm going to say is Jacksonville plus 3.5 is the spread that I'm taking. Okay, so this is another one that I, I think could go either way. Jacksonville, you talk about Trevor Lawrence questionable to play, but it, it seems like he's trending towards playing. Um, but it, I mean, it, it is worth noting. Also, I guess before I get it, Jeffrey Simmons is also questionable, but trending towards playing, and he's not the best interior defensive lineman. That would be one Quinnen Williams, who is the best player just in football. Um, if only, if only he could play all of his snaps. Quinnen Quinnen has has these like insane stamina issues, and like even Saul has admitted it. Like this is not a guy that you can throw out there all three downs and granted the production is like as good as anyone, but brother gets winded pretty easily. I'm not going to dignify that with a response back to the Jaguars <laughs> and the Titans. Um, I think the Jaguars honestly match up pretty well in this scenario, especially considering with Traylon Burks out, not that there was a great passing attack to begin with, but with him out, I think it, it, it look, it, it's pitiful what's going on there. And I, I don't know, the Titans, I, the defense is fantastic. You mentioned that. But the way their offense operates, it's honestly perplexing the way that they're able to win games without having really any passing threat. Um, the difference here for me is the Derrick Henry factor. He He's had some down games this year. Some call him an attempt merchant, if you, if you know what I'm I'm referring to. Um, I, I know exactly what you're referring to. Which is hilariously, uh, hilariously <laughs> terrible take. Um, but this guy just absolutely feasts on these divisional matchups. And I, I you know, maybe that's not valid considering it's more just general history. But I, I think he's going to go crazy um, and just absolutely gash this Jaguars defense. And I think that's going to be the difference. I think the Jaguars will keep it close. But say what you were saying with Trevor Lawrence, like he's had some great moments, like that comeback against the Ravens. I thought that was really impressive. Like that looked like that could be the moment where he kind of turned turned a new a new leaf into being, you know, the quarterback everyone thought he could be. But you really never know with him. So ultimately, I'm going with the Titans are steady with the defense, um, steady with Derrick Henry. So I'm going to take them. Uh, to cover and to win outright, twenty four seventeen. We have th- there. Are, this is a huge week of divisional matchups. As we have another one, the Eagles are a touchdown favorite against the New York Football Giants. 
And and I'm going to be taking that Eagles spread. Um, I know that the Giants have a pretty good record on the year, but ever since the beginning, I felt like this team is a lot more talentless than people are willing to give it credit for. Daniel Jones is not the guy. I, I promise you. He I've seen him just miss so many reads where like he will stare down a guy that's wide open. Uh, there's one play against the Seahawks that actually comes to mind where uh, Seattle was running cover two and Wandale Robinson was, was running a streak that he kind of broke up the middle. And if you know, if you know how cover two works, the, uh, the deep middle is open. And then there's two spots on the sidelines between the safety and the cornerback in the flat called the hole shots. Those are usually open. Wandale had the deep middle wide open because Quandre did not pick it up and, and Daniel Jones looked at it and then turned away and, and threw a pass to someone else. Um, but but I promise you, he's not the guy. These receivers are not legit. And I think that the Eagles secondary is, is really strong and is going to shut them down really well. Um, and then all they really have to do is stop the run, which they have had issues with this year. But uh, is is Jordan Davis is, is healthy, right? Because I knew at one point he was missing. I, I believe he's healthy, yes. Yeah, yeah. So, so Jordan Davis is going to play a huge role in this game in, in stopping Saquon because that, that's really the only thing that the Giants can rely on right now. On the Eagles' side of the ball, I do like the Giants' defense, but but I think that the Eagles' offense is better. A.J. Brown is on quite the tear right now, um, and, and I think that Jalen Hurts is is doing just enough. Uh, he, he is a legit MVP candidate. Like, this this dude is in the MVP conversation, um, and and I think that this, this Eagles' offense is just a little bit too much for the Giants to really be able to stop it. Um, touchdown favorite is a pretty big spread, uh, but but I have the Eagles winning pretty handsomely in this one. Um, I this one I'm back to fully agreeing with you. Uh, worth noting the Giants have a couple injuries. Adoree Jackson's already been ruled out. Leonard Williams is doubtful, and I don't know if I've ever seen anyone with a doubtful designation play. Um, Saquon Barkley is questionable, and it seems I would my guess would be he plays, but it dabble is kind of like ho hum on it. And overall, look, I, I, wins are wins, and you can't discount it, but I think there's just a huge talent disparity here. I, I don't think the Giants are as good as their record suggests. I think they can compete, and the way that they're able to to get it done in crunch time, it's impressive, but I don't know if it's necessarily sustainable, especially against the Eagles, one of the best teams in football. Jalen Hurts is a legitimate MVP candidate, and I'm like, I, look, I'm as big of a Jalen Hurts fan as you're gonna find. I, if I was prepared, I'd be wearing my my Jalen Hurts shirt. I, you know, since his days at Alabama, the way that he's progressed is just incredible. You'd be lying. Besides my mom, I think no one expected this, and at least you know to to this extent, I suppose. And I think him and AJ Brown, that connection right now is as good as any. And I mean, AJ Brown, the revenge game last week was just hilarious to see. I mean, I, I just, I don't, I don't get it. You, cause especially when we were talking about Amari Cooper, wide receivers are demanding a lot of money. It's not, it's not unique to, to one AJ Brown. And I know you got to pay a lot of money, but man, to give up on a guy like that. And yeah, you got the first round pick back for it, but it's just, it's crazy. I mean, it lost it lost the Titans general manager his job, which separate separate conversation. But overall, 
I think the Eagles are going to have a pretty steady game on offense. I don't really see the explosiveness with the Giants, especially when it comes down to crunch time in terms of asking Daniel Jones to make plays. I like the Eagles. I like them covering 27-17. Next one, back to the AFC. We have the Ravens, who are expected to be without Lamar Jackson. Uh, Two-point underdogs at the Steelers. So, in normal circumstances, I would be taking the Ravens with 100% certainty. Um, But Lamar Jackson is going to be out this week. They're going to be leaning on Tyler Huntley. And while Huntley has certainly put up some master classes in the past when Lamar has been gone, whether it be COVID or or some other injury, um, I'm not expecting that against uh, a defense as highly touted as the Steelers. Uh, Granted, it hasn't been exactly what we've hoped in past years. But uh, but it's it's certainly a really good defense, and I think that a backup quarterback, for a backup quarterback, it's just a little bit too much to handle, especially when you look at the weapons on this team. I obviously really like Mark Andrews, but it's Devin Duvernay, James Prochet, Demarcus Robinson. Like this receiving core is the worst in the league by far. It is not close. I do really like their defense, and I don't like the Steelers' offensive side of the ball. Uh, this should be a really low scoring game. The over-under is set at 36 and a half. I might even be willing to, to hit the under again um, because there's very little that I like on either of these offenses. And there's quite a bit that I like on each of these defenses. Um, I, I have not been the biggest Kenny Pickett supporter. He was my quarterback five coming out of this class. And it was, I think, one of, if not the worst first round pick uh, for the Steelers to be taking him as early as they did. Um, but he's he's looked all right. He's able to hit the quick stuff, and I think that with with George Pickens and Deontay Johnson, there's there's work that that Kenny Pickett can do there. And even against a Ravens defense that is as good as it is, I think Kenny Pickett's able to get the job done against this team. I'm going to take the Pittsburgh minus two spread, um, but this game should be pretty ugly. And if you're a fan of defensive football, this is the game for you. Yeah, I think this is definitely going to be an ugly one. Worth noting for the Steelers, both TJ Watt and Deontay Johnson are questionable um, with with either, especially with TJ Watt out. Um, I would, I definitely would feel good about the Ravens, but I'm going to make this pick, even assuming they're playing. I do like the Ravens. The Steelers, the Steelers are a weird team because they're not good, but they're able to be competitive enough. Um, with a like you kind of mentioned, it's not necessarily one of the great Steeler defenses, but it's definitely enough that when you're facing a backup quarterback and Tyler Huntley, you don't, you know, it's not, it's going to be t- tough for him. And the Ravens, they're kind of rotating stable of running backs. I, I think Gus Edwards is, is maybe coming off or not Gus Edwards. Uh, JK Dobbins is maybe coming off of IR. I haven't, I haven't checked up on that, but either way, the running backs just don't do a ton for me. And without the playmaking of Lamar, it, it is going to handicap their offense considering that, man, the, those wide receivers, at some point they're going to get a, a standout wide receiver. But I don't know if today's the, or, you know, it's going to happen anytime soon. But with all of that being said, I, I do like the Ravens. I think they're going to be able to stifle the Steelers' offense more. Like you said, Kenny Pickett. He hasn't necessarily been atrocious, but he's also really hasn't moved the needle is the way that I would put it. Uh, Najee Harris has looked better recently, but I still don't really see him 
like as a as a big game changer. Now that that offense just both this is going to be a really sloppy game in general. But ultimately, I, I like Tyler Huntley. I don't know if he's necessary. Like I don't I don't know if he's a, a fantastic quarterback, but I think he's one of the better backups. I think the way that he he can kind of seamlessly fit into this the way that they don't really have to change the offense is important. Um, but it's going to be an ugly game. I just, I, I like the Ravens ultimately, because even with Lamar down, I just think they're the better team. So I have the Ravens covering, well, they're the underdog. So I have the Ravens plus two, uh, beating them 23-16. Next one, we have the Chiefs at Broncos. The Chiefs are nine-point favorites. And I... I will be taking that that Chiefs spread, um, and part of it is because the Chiefs' offense is is really good, and and I don't think uh, anyone's really willing to to debate that. Like, obviously, the Chiefs are going to get it done on offense, uh, but I think the reason why I'm taking that spread is because I think that the Broncos are just not going to put up hardly any points at all. And then when you see the big disparity between the two offenses, I think the Chiefs could put up, you know, 17 points, 20 points. And still cover this spread because because this Broncos offense, frankly, it's embarrassing. As a Seahawks fan, I have to talk about this. One of the greatest fleeces of our generation, sending Russell Wilson to the Broncos for five picks, three players, and a quarterback upgrade. This is incredible. Um, I think that there really is a world where this goes down as the worst move of all time between the trade and the extension before they even saw him play a snap. If you didn't give him the extension, it's like Russ looks bad. All right. But it's, there's only another year on this deal. So we, we can ride with it. They have him under contract for another six years now and have to pay him upwards of 40 million per year. Once they get onto that contract, this was just such an awful move by George Patton. And it has showed the defense really has been strong. Um, Pat Sertan looks like one of the best cornerbacks in the league. He's had some rough games as of late, but uh, but I really do believe Pat Sertan is, is a great player. Um, and the defense is allowed, I think, 18 points per game. And the offense is scoring like 14 points per game. It's crazy. This this offense just cannot move the needle. And granted, this Chiefs defense is, is nothing special, especially in the passing attack. But uh, I think that the Broncos passing attack will take care of itself. Um, it, it, they're not going to put up any points no matter what, because Russell Wilson just cannot get it done right now. He has more bathrooms in his home than he has touchdowns right now. Um, and, and this, this team just looks awful. This team looks awful. And I, I like the chiefs who I view as probably my Super Bowl favorite right now, but, but I, I just don't see Denver getting it done. I have two notes before I get into my analysis. Number one, I was looking through our text when I texted you yesterday asking if you want to do this podcast, and I noticed mm-hmm. I, uh, when the Russell Wilson trade happened, I said, sorry, question mark, congrats, question mark. And, you know, I would definitely revise that statement to congrats. Um, <laughs> hilarious fleece. And, yeah, going into this game, the Chiefs Chiefs were kind of humbled last week against the against the Bengals. I don't I don't necessarily expect them to struggle in terms of winning this game, but I think the Broncos might might limit the offense just a little bit. Kadarius Tony and Joe Joe Tooney are both questionable to play on the Broncos side. Portland Sutton has already been ruled out. Um, I think this is a game where the score might not indicate the way that the Chiefs are going to win this game, but I do like the Broncos covering this. Actually, I think 
it could even be a back like a backdoor cover. But I think not nine points is a lot, and the Broncos aren't good. But I think the Broncos are kind of a tough team to blow out, considering they have a pretty strong defense. So I have the Chiefs winning this twenty to thirteen, but the Broncos covering the nine point spread. Next one, we finally have a non-divisional game. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers coming off a huge Monday night win, taking on the San Francisco 49ers. Niners are three-and-a-half-point favorites. This one is really interesting because, because the Niners are favorited despite the fact that their starting quarterback, Jimmy Garoppolo, is now out for the season, and they have to turn to Mr. Irrelevant, Brock Purdy. And, and I think Purdy's going to get it done. I have San Fran favored in this game. Um, and part of the reason is because Kyle Shanahan has designed his offense in such a way that you don't really have to be able to do anything incredible from the standpoint of a quarterback to have success on this offense, because it's a very quarterback friendly scheme. It really just requires getting the ball off short, slinging some throws over the middle and, and letting the guys on this team make some plays with the ball in their hands. We have Debo Samuel, probably the best yak player in the league right now George Kittle is one of the best tight ends Brandon Ayuk is a great wide receiver Christian McCaffrey has looked like an absolute stud since they've traded for him um there's a lot of weapons for this quarterback to be working with and I think Purdy looked strong enough in his in his first appearance last week as a 49er I think he'll get it done on this Buccaneers side of the ball the big issue for them this year has been that interior offensive line they lost Ryan Jensen to retirement Ali Marpet I think went to the Bengals, if I am not wrong. Um, they lost basically their entire interior offensive line, and it shows. This 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 interior side is, is really rough, and I think now that the Niners are getting Eric Armstead back, that is going to be huge for them now that they have an actual game wrecker on the inside. I, I think that Tom Brady is not going to have a lot of time to throw. I think that they're going to have a really hard time establishing this run game because this Niners defense is just fantastic. Fred Warner in my opinion, is probably the best linebacker in the league. If we're excluding Micah Parsons, considering he's basically just played as an edge this season, but, but Fred Warner is just so, so dominant. And now this year's emergence of Talano Hufanga, he, he's an awesome box safety, really good at stopping the run. And I think that this is just too much for this, this sort of shriveled Buccaneers offense to handle. Yeah. Um, also of note, you mentioned the interior offensive line struggles with the Buccaneers. Tristan Wirfs, doubtful to play. That's another another hit that they'll take. Um, on the other side, though, Nick Bosa is also questionable to play. But if he does play, I mean, I have to imagine he's going to have an absolute field day. He's one of the top contenders for defensive player of the year, despite, um, I believe, missing a game or two. I mean, Brock, the fact that Brock Purdy is about to be, that is an NFL starting quarterback is just crazy to me because as, as a big college football fan, he was a guy who, like after his, his freshman and sophomore year, there was a lot of hope for him thinking he could take the step forward. But ultimately, he, he was a pretty mid-college quarterback considering 2020, he had uh, 19 touchdowns to nine interceptions, uh, 2021, 19 to eight. He just never really took that like impressive step forward. And he's a guy that I just never would have imagined starts an NFL game, but here we are. And I think 
he he looked he looked the part. He didn't look flustered in general. He was able to do his job. And I think you put it really well that this Niners offense at face value, they don't necessarily ask a ton out of their quarterback. I mean, Jimmy G is successful in it. So that's that's all you really need to know. No offense to, to Jimmy G. I'm, I'm just uh, kind of a notorious Jimmy G. Uh, maybe not hater, but an honest evaluator of Jimmy G. Let's let's put it like that, shall we? He's 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 certainly not this like superstar, but but he's he's good enough and he's he's a nuanced enough game manager that he can get it done in in as simple a scheme as this. Yes, great great way of putting it. Much nicer way of putting it. Um the Buccaneers won on Monday night, but I don't really know if that win inspired any more confidence. There's just they're just such a flawed team. The offense, just in theory, you would think it would be operating so much better, you know, but it's just not. They've they've looked out of sync, and even in that game, because they had that nice comeback, overall, they really didn't look the part, though. And and they're going to probably end up sneaking in the playoffs as, you know, as it happens, and Tom Brady will probably pull some magic out, and they'll pro- find their way to somehow, like, win the Super Bowl or something, because that's just what Tom Brady does. He made a deal with the devil. But... For now, I, I like the Niners in this. I think the Buccaneers will keep it close. I don't I don't I think the Niners will have a hard time separating a ton considering uh the the lack of well, I guess we should say the question mark at quarterback. Uh but I do like the Niners. I like them covering. I have them winning uh 28-24. Now we what we're we're almost at the end of our games and we finally get to the Jackson Powers game of the week. The Panthers yeah. taking on the Seahawks. Seahawks are three and a half point favorites. What are what are we feeling? Um, I, I'm feeling that I like Seattle's line and I'm gonna take it, but I'm not gonna take it with confidence. Uh, I think coming from a Seahawks fan, this team is just a little bit fraudulent. I had the pleasure last week of attending live in person the Seahawks go to LA, take on the Rams at SoFi. And and this was a Rams team with no Stafford, with no Cooper Cup and no Aaron Donald. And so you would think, considering that this is such a stars and scrubs roster, if you take away almost all the stars, they're not going to be very good. Well, they were, they managed to slice and dice us, and it took a Geno Smith masterclass to pull us out of this one. It, it took a, a game-winning drive, DK catching the game winner on Jalen Ramsey's head to, to win this one. And given how rough of a roster that was, I, I really am not a big fan of this team. Now, the Panthers are certainly no great team themselves. Sam Darnold will be their starting quarterback. Um, But I actually am expecting a decently big game out of Dante Foreman because no matter what, the Seahawks defense will not be able to stop the run. The interior defensive line is really, really rough. Al Woods is a solid nose tackle, but uh, our three techs are not anything to be celebrating right now. Buchenna and Wosu is a solid edge rusher, but... Whoever we put out on the other side, it's it's just not a great option. We have the dinosaur Bruce Irvin, or we have Daryl Taylor, who cannot defend the run to save his life, or Boye Mafe, who's been a little bit lackluster as a second-round pick so far. Uh, I don't think we're going to be able to stop the run, and I think that the Panthers are going to have a bigger offensive onslaught than people are expecting. On Seattle's side of the ball, um, I really have no complaints about this offense, other than the fact that Ken Walker might not be playing, which would likely mean that it's DJ Dallas, but but we'll see who's really taking the bulk of the carries. But this passing attack is is really awesome. 
Um, DK and Lockett are each having great years. And, and one thing that Seattle has done a really good job of more early in the season than late, but they've done a really good job of incorporating the tight end. It's a Sean McVay type of scheme. So, so these play action bootleg rollouts are just, it's so nice to be able to just hit Noah Fant on one of those and let him make a play. But, but I am going to take Seattle's spread with not a lot of confidence. I think that this game is going to be closer than it should be. Uh, but I do think Seattle will be coming out with a W. I agree with you on that. I like Seattle with the spread. And I understand you're, you're a Seahawks fan, and, and they've definitely come a little bit back down to earth from like a little bit earlier in the season when they were really humming. But I think Seattle's going to blow them out, to be honest with you. Um, I understand where you're coming from in terms of, I think, you know, the Seahawks definitely – have some concerns on defense and, and we could see a solid game from Dante Foreman, but I just, I, I love, look, I'll forever be a Sam Darnold truther at heart, but I, I don't know if I really see it. I don't, I don't know if he can really make it happen against the one thing I'll give the Seahawks is they're opportunistic. You talk about uh, Tariq Woolen, you know, we'll get into an argument later about defensive rookie of the year. Um, but I could easily see Sam Darnold just turning the ball over, which is going to be detrimental for the Panthers and set up the Seahawks offense that, you know, it takes a hit without Kenneth Walker, who is one of the favorites for offensive rookie of the year. But this passing attack is so fantastic. It's just, it's so impressive to see the way that it's evolved Going into the year, we th- I didn't even, I mean, you're more of a, you, I assume you you thought Drew Locke would be the starting quarterback, yeah? I, I did until, I, I was I was a believer for basically all of the offseason that it would be Drew Locke, but um, there was, it came down to like the final preseason game and Locke threw like three pretty bad interceptions and I was thinking like, all right, it'll be Geno, but I had a lot more confidence in Locke, I'll put it that way. Yeah. So the way that Gino has been is fantastic as a Gino Smith fantasy owner, love the guy. And you know what? DK Metcalf is going to get, a, you know, the bulk of the hype. He's a, look, he looks like a machine. He often plays like a machine. You saw that in person last week, but I mean, how about Tyler Lockett? This is a guy that just continually flies under the radar. And it feels like every year we expect Tyler Lockett to, to take that dip. And you know what? He hasn't taken it. The last three years, he's been over 1,000 yards. This year, assuming he stays healthy, he's on his way to 1,000 yards. Um, he has a knack for finding the end zone. And, and I think that's just going to be so much on the Panthers' plate that even if the Seahawks don't really have as much of a running option with if Kenneth Walker's out, I think the Seahawks are going to have a field day. I think this could has potential to be like the best game of the year for, for their offense. And I have the I have the Seahawks winning handily, 34-17. Go Seahawks. Go Seahawks, baby. And then we have Sunday night football. This is a very interesting matchup on many levels. We have the Miami Dolphins taking on the Los Angeles Chargers. The Chargers are three-point home underdogs. Yes, and, and you said it. Very interesting matchup. We have social media quarterback Justin Herbert taking on the MVP Tua Tungavailoa. Um, if any of you are, are very active on Twitter, you know that there's a lot of dialogue about these two. Um, 
NFL analyst Emmanuel Acho has been one of the biggest spreaders of the Tua over Herbert narrative, which if you've seen them play football, you know it's completely asinine and that Herbert is by far the better quarterback. Uh, but to me, the Dolphins are the better team for a lot of reasons. The first of which is just the offense is set up so nicely. And I I understand Tua is playing really well right now, but I think basically anyone could play. It's, it's kind of like, Obviously, Mike McDaniel comes from that Kyle Shanahan type of scheme where it's like, get some guys who can make plays with the ball in their hands. You just have to be a game manager. And that's what Tua's doing. He's playing his role really well. Um, but but it's really easy to succeed when Tyree Kill and Jalen Waddell are your two wide receivers. Um, I've seen so many deep balls to those two where it is like completely underthrown, where they have like a wide open streak route. And they have to like completely stop in their tracks or like come back and moss someone for this ball. And they're just continuously making plays. Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle is by far the best receiving duo in the league right now. And, and the Chargers secondary, I do not think is going to be stopping that. Um, but the other reason is I'm not a big fan of, of what the Chargers can do on offense right now. I obviously love Herbert. But, but there's no receiver that can really separate themselves from man coverage right now. If you watch any kind of Keenan Allen film, he is just the slowest dude on the planet. And he's never really been just this absolute blazer. But he's always been really technically nuanced to where he can, he can really break someone down with a route, even if he's not using a ton of, like, straight line speed. At this age, he doesn't really have it anymore. It, like, he just cannot create separation on man coverage. It's about time for him to retire and go be a family man because he just is not really creating much out on the field anymore. And then you got Mike Williams, who is a really good receiver, but he he can really only do one thing, and that's just, like, absolutely moss someone deep. He doesn't really work very well in the short or intermediate levels of the field, doesn't really create a lot of separation, but you could put three guys on him on a jump ball and it wouldn't matter. He would come down with the ball in his hands in a spectacular fashion. And while that's really nice, it takes quite a bit of trust to be consistently throwing that up to him. And, and I can really understand why he's not going to be doing that. Um, Eckler is someone who can work well in the short field, but, but if you're just dumping it off to Eckler every time, that's not necessarily a winning formula. Um, so, so I like Miami here. I'm taking their spread. Um, despite the fact that a lot of people have called this a matchup to see who is the better quarterback, don't get it twisted. Justin Herbert, social media quarterback, is better than Tua, but but the game score may not reflect that. Despite me being the biggest Tua fan, not the biggest Tua fan, a large Tua fan from his days at Alabama, it's unfortunate he went to a division rival of the Jets. And as a huge hater of the Chargers, I mean, the Chargers might be, are probably my least favorite professional sports team. It, I mean, the way you said it, the, you just watch a little bit. And the, what Justin Herbert does is incredible. And it's, it's funny because, like, I think as an Arizona State fan, I remember a couple years ago, Oregon played Arizona State and he got outplayed by freshman Jaden Daniels. And I was like, this guy's not that good. And I understood the tools, but especially going to the Chargers, which are just generally an inept franchise, um, I really didn't wasn't sure about it. But he has proven himself to be one of the best quarterbacks. I think some of the reason that he gets the hate is because I think people were really quick to put him into that like elite elite tier with 
the likes of like Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen. And I think that's unfair to him. It's not to say that he's not on the cusp of that. It's just to put that expectation on him. It kind of clouds the way people view him. And I also think his whole turnover narrative is really overblown and I don't get it. But I I think that's not really the main, it's the main storyline that'll be talked about. But I think going into this game, you're looking at the potent offenses in general. The Dolphins have been hitting on all cylinders with that. They, they, I mean, it's just, it's incredible the way Tyreek Hill continues to do what he does. Jalen Waddle, who you were hating on before the year, just abs- absolutely fantastic what he was does. I? Um, I was hating on Waddle? You were hating on Waddle. Dude, oh, okay. I need, I need to clear this up because I'm not taking any kind of slander to my name like that. I didn't think he would be as good after the catch as he is because he's got that straight line speed. But like, if you look at his rookie year, he had like the most receptions for a rookie ever and had like 900 yards. Well, so I thought, you're an like, idiot, so. <laughs> I, I always liked Waddle. I promise I'm not this stupid. I just didn't think that the he would be as much of a yak beast as he was. But but turns out I was wrong. I'll take my L there. But I'm not going to let Jeremy inform the public that I'm some kind of waddle hater. I, I I won't let my name be tarnished like that. It's okay. We all we all make mistakes. I mean, not me. Every <laughs> every take I've ever had is great. But um in this game, the Chargers, I, I guess I don't I shouldn't have introduced it like both these teams have potent offenses. The Dolphins have a potent offense. The Chargers have the tools to be a potent offense with Herbert behind the center, uh Austin Eckler. I think is a slightly overrated based on fantasy, but overall is very productive both as a runner and as a receiver, especially in the short game. You mentioned Keenan Allen really hasn't looked like him, you know, his former self. Um, what Mike Williams does stretching the field, it's not a consistent threat, but there's something about this primetime game that I think there are going to be fireworks. I think this is going to be a huge Mike Williams game. I think we could see Josh Palmer has been really solid on the air. I think, I think he can make some plays. Um, and I don't know. We have the the one thing that concerns me about the Dolphins, not that the you know, the Chargers defense, it's it's impressive the way that they just struggle to improve every year, um, at least to 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 a good enough level. But the Dolphins are likely without Teron Armstead, he's questionable. And I, I think this is gonna be a really high scoring game. I think this is like game of the year potential kind of game. Not I mean, in ter- the Vikings Bills game was better, but in terms of I think it can be one of the best games on primetime. And this is one where I'm just kind of going with my gut. I definitely would rather the Dolphins win for sake of the Jets in terms of playoff, but I'm taking the Chargers in a total shootout, 40 to 37. Uh the rationale speaks to Dolphins, but it's kind of one where just a gut feeling with the Chargers. Um, and then our last one, Monday Night Football, the New England Patriots go to the Arizona Cardinals. The Cardinals are one-and-a-half-point underdogs. Yeah, I, I like the Patriots here. I think that they are the better team. Uh, there is a lot of grievances that I have with the Cardinals right now, specifically stemming from Cliff Kingsbury, where he runs, I think, a little bit too much, like, short, quick game where you look at Kyler Murray, this is a dude that can really sling it. And I think if you if you run some kind of spread offense where it's a lot of a lot of two by two, three by two, um, if you get those guys running deep, there's a lot of deep threats on this Hollywood Brown, DeAndre Hopkins, 
lot of guys who can run deep. They're running so many just like wide receiver screens or bubble screens or some like like stupid plays where it's just Kyler get it off quick and let a guy make a play with the ball in his hands. And that's just not how this team is built. I think Cliff Kingsbury is one of the worst head coaches in the league and extending him and Kime was, was one of just a, a, it was just an awful move by, by this front office. And I think that neither of those two should be around. I think that the, the general manager position has been really weak these last couple of years with Kime. Um, I don't like Kingsbury. I don't think he runs this offense efficiently. I think there's certainly some guys. DeAndre Hopkins looks really good coming off of his suspension. And, and Kyler Murray, I am a big, big believer in Kyler Murray. I think that he really could be doing great things if it wasn't for Cliff Kingsbury. Uh, the defense, I'm not as big of a fan on. I don't think that they really generate a lot of pressure. This team is one that runs a lot of, a lot of simulated pressures, where if you don't know what that is, basically it's where like, uh, two defensive linemen will almost intersect each other to try and to try and create um, some problems for the offensive line and and to kind of kind of draw up a free pressure. They do a lot of that, and considering that their pressure rates are as low as they are, I don't think there's really a lot of talent on on this front four. Uh, I don't like the secondary much either. I do like Buda Baker. Obviously, he's a star, but but this defense is really not stopping anything. Um, on the Patriots, there, there, there's very little flashy about this team. Uh, the cornerback room was one that looked really highly touted for a little bit, but but it's not looking as incredible right now. They've they've given up some really big wide receiver games in the last couple of weeks. Um, it's going to be an ugly game, and the fact that they put it put it on prime time is really confusing to me. Considering neither of these teams are very fun at all, um, I think I think that this is going to be an ugly Patriots win. I'll put it that way. Yeah, I mean, this feels like it should be a Thursday night game. Considering, I mean. I think this might be the most boring. Sl- I I guess the Raven Steelers would probably be a uh not of a pleasing game. Texans Cowboys will probably be a blowout. But just these two teams are not exciting to me at all. I hate the Patriots and the Patriots just the brand of football they don't play. They're the brand of football they play just is not aesthetically pleasing at all. Um, and the Cardinals, it's just the dysfunction is so apparent that it it's almost painful for me. I, I don't really have a ton of insight into this game. I don't feel strongly either way. I think I'm going to ultimately go with the Cardinals. I think that it, when push comes to shove, I think the best player on either offense, I'm going to is Deandre Hopkins. And I think he'll make some big plays down in crunch time. And same with the, the, the Patriots, I, I just don't like in crunch time with Mac Jones. Mac Jones sucks, is not good. I think um, he's his numbers have been slightly better recently, but his numbers and the narrative will be so different if the Jets, Jets had a pick six against him in the first game they played that got called back with a BS roughing the passer call. And if that stayed... People would the narrative around him will be very different, is what I'll say, because he played a terrible game that day. He's not good. Um, and so yeah, I'm gonna take Cardinals, um, 23 to 20, and what will be a very boring game. And to be honest, if you don't have fantasy implications on that, or you're a fan of the Patriots or Cardinals, I don't know why you would watch it, to be honest. And yeah, those those are our what week are we in? Week 14, 13? E- 14. 14. Those are our week 14 picks. But we're not done. Stay, you gotta stay around. Um, yeah. We are going to go through. We're we're almost at the conclusion of the season. There's there is time for 
for some room to guys to, you know, explode, break out. But at this point, we have a pretty good idea of candidates for the NFL awards. So we're going to go through and make our picks, some, some analysis for, for where we're thinking guys, guys could wind up. Yeah. Um, let's, let's start it with NFL MVP Jackson powers. The, uh, the MVP right now is, is pretty clear and it's, and it's Patrick Mahomes. This, this dude is really not working with a lot on his offense, especially when you consider they took Tyreek Hill away from this team. But if you look at the surrounding quarterback play from, from anyone else this season, it's, it's very clear that, that Mahomes is the best quarterback in the league and it's not close. There's guys like Josh Allen, there's guys like Herbert, but neither of them put together the, the physical tools and the mental ability that Mahomes has, where there's a lot of things where like, if you play Mahomes this way, it's an absolute death sentence. Like blitzing Mahomes, it's an absolute death sentence. His only real weakness right now is going against a, a solid cover two, making him dink and dunk, but, but he has still managed to find ways to win through it. Um, I think he is far and away the best quarterback in the league. And Jay, are you giving your MVP right now, or or am I my trucking through? I'll, we, I'll give my MVP, and then we'll we'll yeah, like awesome. both Discord. Um, yeah, it's Patrick Mahomes. Uh, the stats behind it: he leads the league in passing yards, leads and naturally leads the league in passing yards per game, three hundred seventeen yards per game. I mean, that's that's crazy. And I know part of that is because the Chiefs aren't very insistent on running the ball. They don't run the ball great, but that's fantastic. Leads the league in touchdowns at 30. Leads the league with uh, 78.5 QBR. Fourth in uh, passer rating. He He's just a total stud, and I think you mentioned it. Uh, not that it, I, don't think, I don't think anyone expected him to exactly fall off, but we thought that there would kind of be a slight dip in production without Tyreek Hill. It'd be different. But really, I mean, he's he's doing exactly what he'd be doing with Tyreek. He's just continues to make plays, uh, both the you know, simple ones, you know, like it's it, sometimes it's not hard to hit a wide open Travis Kelsey. He's fantastic. One of the best players, you know, it, one of the best offensive playmakers in the league, but he's still, I mean, he just, the eye popping throws where he's, he's rolling, you know, the sidearm stuff. I know it gets, an, it gets kind of annoying when we see all of them on social media, but he's just that good. He's so fantastic. And I don't know if you wrote down anyone for like other, you know, uh, potential candidates. If I were to have a runner up, I think it's Jalen Hurts. Um, And his passing stats aren't gaudy. His completion percentage at 68.1 is fifth best in the league. Uh, He's not quite yet at 3,000 yards. He's at 2,940. His passing yards per game is at 245, which is 11th. But what separates him is his ability um on the ground really uh i guess passing wise he has 20 touchdowns uh which is tied for seventh only the three interceptions which is huge that's tied for first among quarterbacks that like actually play so him him and tom brady but the way he runs the ball 609 rushing yards which is third among quarterbacks um and nine rushing touchdowns which is not not just tied for fifth among quarterbacks that's tied for fifth in general I think the way that you have to game plan for Jalen Hurts is you know, it's hard to game plan for him because if you sell out on the run, he's been able to hit that deep ball, finding A.J. Brown, and he's not – like I'm not – in this scenario, I'm not saying by any means that Jalen Hurts is like the second-best quarterback or that he's the second-best passer, but he's just such 
such a wild card in terms of what he can do. And I think in general, look, yes, I think the offense is set up pretty well for him to succeed, but he has just absolutely flourished in it. Uh, incredible numbers. I think some other guys you could you could talk about sneaking into the conversation. Joe Burrow, like you mentioned, has been fantastic. Uh, Tua Tonga-Vailoa, he's not as much of a, you know, like you mentioned, it's not as aesthetically pleasing, but the, the numbers, you know, speak for themselves. He's been great. And then I think, I think you know, Geno Smith, Maybe, maybe, you know, it's worth, it's worth giving him the credit of, I don't think he's necessarily a prime MVP candidate, but he's, he's played fantastic. And in a year where it feels like quarterback play in general has been down, congrats to Geno Smith. Um, What are we going to next? Offensive player of the year? Yeah, sounds good. Um, Yeah, my offensive player of the year right now is, is Tyreek Hill. And I'm not a, actually one. I'm going to pull up the stats right now. Cause I know him and Jefferson are like very close in terms of, in terms of their stats. I think Hills might be a little bit better, but, but regardless yeah. I'm going Hill because um, I think that they are asking Hill to do something that he had never really done in his career before, where when he was on the chiefs, it was just like blaze people down the field and Mahomes will throw you the greatest deep ball you've ever seen. And he's going to catch it and, and put it in the end zone. But, but Hill right now is, is doing something that we've never seen before where he's still running deep, but we see him making a lot more like aggressive and contested catches than I think he was ever in a chief's uniform. And he's also just working a lot more after the catch than he ever really has in his career. Um, he has just under 1400 yards on the season um, I bet by the end of the season, it'll be right around that like 1700, 1600-ish mark um, with the with the four games that we have left. He's he's so solid. Um, this dude, in my opinion, is, is by far the best receiver in football. And Jeremy kind of covered it earlier. There's so many different receiver rankings that you could make that are like very hard to dispute. But in my opinion, I think Hill is, is a pretty clear-cut number one, just given like the speed, the athleticism, the run after catch ability, the contested catching, like there's just, I just don't think that there's anyone who really marries the, the, the technical part of the game with the, the incredible physical aspects that he has. So I'm going Hill for my offensive player of the year. Yeah. I think Tyree Hill has a fantastic case. Um, he's my runner up the stats to him. He leads the league in catches with 96 leads the league in yards with 1,379 um, yards per game leads uh, with 114.9 leads the league in first downs 62 um, by all accounts I think everything you said was was articulate and and speaks to the way that he's been used differently in this where he's making a lot of run after catches it's not just throwing the deep ball it feels like he's being utilized in a more unique way which I mean just talking about Patrick Mahomes and Tyree Kill talk about both guys playing fantastic. I mean, to, to separate those, you know, you could call, you could try to narrative ball it either way saying Mahomes would take a step back without him. Say Tyreek would take a step back without Mahomes. Both of them are fantastic. Uh, my offensive player of the year pick, however, is Raiders running back Josh Jacobs. And I think you could go either way with it. I, I'm not saying that Josh Jacobs is overall the best running back in football, but he is having a spectacular season by all accounts. Leads the league in rushing yards uh, with uh, about 1,400. Granted, I will say he did play an extra game this Thursday, but even then he still has about a 300-yard um, advantage. 
Uh, after that yards per game, 107.8 uh, yards per carry among like what I would consider qualified. I wish the NFL had like qualification stats like MLB does, but among running backs with 10 games played, he's tied for fourth with yards per carry at 5.2, um, 11 touchdowns, which is third, 77 uh, first downs picked up, which is first by a lot um, with running backs. Uh, he isn't necessarily a like a, a total Eckler type as a pass catcher, but he does have 44 catches for 346 yards. And I think a big thing about him, and it's not it's not a an end-all, be-all, but I think there are going to be voters, assuming that he's able to somewhat keep up this production, what I think is going to be a big favor for him and why I think he'll ultimately win it, assuming he keeps this, is that he had like his his breakout moment, I guess, I wouldn't call it like it doesn't sound right to say offensive player of the year moment, but like the I'm I'm sorry, Jackson, you might want to you know take off your headphones for a second, but that his game against the Seahawks, the way oh, he broke man. it down, um, for as fantastic as every other guy's having, especially Tyreek, I think that's the kind of play, the kind of game that is going to stick in voters' minds, and and yeah, I mean, fantastic year for Josh Jacobs who. You know, you're about to butt in, but I remember not too long ago, Jackson Powers said that he was going to get benched for Kenyon Drake. Uh, I'll, I'll take my L. I'll take my L on that one. I was never a Josh Jacobs believer, but he's clearly added a, a much better part to his game, and that's his vision. His vision was never really at this level, and he's never been like a speedy or, or athletic back. He's just someone who's just straight up north to south. He'll power through, but the efficiency was always terrible with him. That's just not the case anymore. He's taking holes at a much better rate, and and I think he is a little more agile than we've ever seen him. But but I will I will happily take my L with Jacobs. He is fantastic right now. Yeah. Okay. Um. Some other guys that I think are worth considering: Justin Jefferson. Uh, his stats are a little bit behind Tyree Kill, so I don't think I could justify putting him there. But he's so fantastic. Made the play of the year against the Bills. I think that was the greatest catch I've ever seen. Um, I think it was better than the Odell catch, but you know, it doesn't really matter. Devontae Adams is not on a great team and flies under the radar because of that, but he's still doing exact Devontae Adams things. Uh, and Nick Chubb, who you mentioned, you said best running back in football. It's, it's a very compelling argument. The guy's just an absolute stud. So moving on. We did offensive player of the year. Let's do defense, which I think is a very interesting race. It is. And, and to me right now, um, the, the three guys that I think will be the nominees are Nick Bosa, Max Crosby, and Micah Parsons. And right now, I am giving the edge to Nick Bosa, league leading 14 and a half sacks, league leading 43 pressures, and that's, that's six higher than the next with Matt Judon has 37. Bosa is balling right now, despite the fact that he missed, I think, two or three games he is just dominating on the stat sheet right now. 14 and a half sacks through this point in the season is, is absolutely wild. He's also incredibly productive in the running game. Um, just an absolute game wrecker. Uh, I don't think that there's really a lot for me to talk about here with Bosa, but, but he is such a huge reason as to why uh, Kyle Shanahan's defense right now, in my opinion, is the best in the league. I think he just is such an, an opposing force on, on quarterbacks to where like, you you gotta just game plan to get the ball out quick because you are not gonna have a lot of time when Nick Bosa is pass rushing on the opposite side of you. 
Yeah, well said. I, I really was going back and forth on this one because um, part of me says Micah Parsons because I think some of the basic stats don't really encapsulate his versatility. He has 12 sacks, which is third. Uh, he has 12 tackles for loss, which is tied for seventh. He's forced three fumbles. You just you watch the guy, and it's, it's very rare to see – a defensive player just in on every play to be like a playmaker on defense. It's such a rare breed, but it feels like Parsons is absolutely everywhere. And I, I, again, I don't think the stats entirely encapsulate his versatility, but ultimately, and I really had to, I I could go back on either one. I think you could make a very good argument either way, but I am going to take Nick Bosa because it's simple. He has just absolutely dominated his pass rusher. He's missed some time, still leads the league in sacks, like you mentioned, mentioned leads the league in pressures, uh, leads the league in tackles for loss. He is such a game changer that I mean, Micah Parsons. Micah Parsons does some things that Nick Bosa can't do, but Nick Bosa is just such a purely dominant pass rusher that I think is almost in a tier of his own right now. Um, so, so my pick is Nick Bosa and an honorable, an honorable mention Max Crosby. I think he might be the most underrated player in the NFL, at least. I think more, you know, some people more involved in, and I don't know the way to say it. I guess people more hyper-focused on the NFL have given him his credit, but I think to the, to the average fan, that's not a household name, even though it probably should be. We move on. Let's get to the rookies. Who doesn't love a good rookie? Um, NFL Offensive Rookie of the Year, which I would like to preface by if he did not blow out his ACL, this would not be a question. It would be Brees Hall. Go ahead, Jackson. Um, um, I do agree. I think Brees Hall was was an incredible running back, and and he uh, ended his season way too early. He, he looked awesome. Um, but, but right now, to me, the Offensive Rookie of the Year is, is Chris Olave for the Saints. I would not be surprised – if Garrett Wilson catches him by the end of the year. But I think if the season ended today, it would be Olave because Olave is about 90 more yards ahead of Wilson, three more catches, one less touchdown. Um, but you, he, he's just been such a reliable wide receiver. He really reminded me of Tyler Lockett coming out of college. And, and I think he's been a really big part to the Saints passing game, especially when you consider he was supposed to be alongside Michael Thomas. And then Thomas went down really early in the year and then it was supposed to be he'll be back in a couple weeks, and then he just sat out longer and longer, and the injury kept getting delayed until finally Thomas is out for the rest of the year. And now it's we're purely relying on Olave, and he's really filled in. Um, obviously, the Saints offense is nothing to be really bragging about, but Olave is one of the few bright spots. I think this wide receiver class is really awesome. Um, but, but yeah, Olave looks really solid right now. Uh, this is, I will say, one of the uglier offensive rookie of the year races we've seen in a little while because Olave's on pace for, I, I think, best case scenario, right around 1,200 yards. But um, it feels like we've been spoiled with the with the Jamar Chase, the Justin Herbert, the Justin Jefferson. There's just so many guys where it feels like they just have a dominant offensive rookie season, and, and we just don't have that this year. Um, it's not something that I would say about the, the defensive side of the ball, but we will get into that later. Chris Olave right now is my offensive rookie of the year. Yeah, um, I'm in agreement. I think the running backs being Damian Pierce and Kenneth Walker have some decent arguments, but I've both of them have slowed down a little bit in their pace. I think 
if Walker w- was getting more touches to begin at the very beginning of the year, I think we'd let, you know, I think he'd be in slightly more contention. And with the nine rushing touchdowns, he, I think definitely if, if he's healthy this week and he has a couple big games, I think he can quickly um, get into that considering, you know, the huge disparity in rushing touchdowns. Same with Pierce. He, he leads all rookie running backs in uh, yards by, by a fair amount with 861. Uh, but ultimately, based off of right now, it's Chris Olave. Um, as a Jets fan, you know, what Garrett Wilson's done is impressive, um, but he he's not quite there in terms of numbers. I think he could surpass him if he if he has a strong couple weeks. But, you know, he leads uh, in terms of yards, Chris Olave, that is by about 100, um, has three more catches, only one less touchdown. And like you mentioned, I think, this it's not to to say that these guys are bad. I think honestly, especially the running backs, they're not having like eye popping numbers. But I think like Damian Pierce, Kenneth Walker, uh, if Brees Hall were to be healthy, Brees Hall, like I think those guys are future superstars. Uh, at the receiver position, it's maybe a little a little more down. But I think Olave and Wilson definitely really good. I think Drake London also has that potential, even though he's kind of cooled off as the year has gone along. Um, it's worth mentioning Christian Watson. I think his candidacy is a little overrated based off of his ridiculously slow start, but he's he's been as hot of a football player as we've seen over the last several weeks, up to seven touchdowns. But you got to keep that in the context of that he does only have 25 total catches on the year. Um, but definitely a, a, an incredible, encouraging sign for the Packers but ultimately uh the award goes to Chris Olave for offensive rookie of the year we move on to defensive rookie of the year Jeremy you're you're not gonna like it but the defensive rookie of the year is going to the best rookie cornerback this year and that would be Tariq Woolen for the Seattle Seahawks uh Tariq Woolen is absolutely balling right now six interceptions He's either first or tied for first in that category right now, but by far the most by, by any cornerback. The ball skills are incredible with him. And, and when we drafted him in the fifth round, it was like this dude is the athletic profile to be to be really incredible. He was a converted wide receiver out of University of Texas, El Paso, um, but his tape looked awful. He, he was clearly very new to the position, could not really hang with anyone in man, was consistently messing up his zones. A lot of just like young mistakes, but but – He's he's six foot four, really long arms, ran a four two forty, and obviously has the ball tracking skills of a wide receiver. The thought process was if we develop this guy all the way, he could be really incredible by the 2023 or 2024 season. Well, Woolen, the second he stepped into training camp, took massive jumps. And and I think not a lot of people are talking about this, but um when Russell Wilson was a Seahawk, not a lot of people, especially on that defensive side of the ball, really liked him. So when when guys had retired, uh, not a lot of them were willing to really come in and do anything with the team. The second that Seattle traded Russ, Richard Sherman volunteered to come in and help with the cornerbacks. And, and I think he has taken a huge, huge amount of credit for Tariq Woolen, rightfully so, because, because he has just really turned him into this explosive cornerback. Um, he, he looks so great this year. He can really man people down. That's a big misconception about his game. A lot of people think he's just trying to bait people in their interceptions like, like Trayvon Diggs did last year. But Woolen really has the shutdown ability of a true cornerback one. If you look at um, when the Raiders played the Seahawks, if you look at Devontae Adams' passing chart or, or receiving chart, I guess, Woolen plays on the left side of the field. Every single route 
was either one that quickly developed to the inside to push Devontae to the right side or one where he started on the right. There's absolutely nothing going on in the left half of the field. And it's because Woolen is just so shut down. They don't want to take any risks with Devontae being caught up with him. Woolen is the best cornerback in this class. I will die on that hill. He is your defensive rookie of the year. Okay. So I don't think you're going to be as mad at me because I do think this award is going to go to Tariq Woolen. And the main reason that I think it's going to go to Tariq Woolen, I don't know if he'd necessarily be my pick, but the reason that it's going to go to him is the interceptions. He has that clear advantage over Sauce Gardner. And, and that is valuable. I think there's kind of a misconception about like interceptions. Like I think, I think interceptions are slightly overrated in terms of that they're not, they, they shouldn't be the be all end all in evaluating a, a defensive player. But ultimately, the goal of the game when you're on defense is to stop the other team and to take the ball away. You got to give credit to that. Um, I will note that one of his interceptions was very fraudulent as it was thrown by a running back to Tom Brady, but I, I digress. Um, what I will say, though, is in general, this argument is in the you, you mentioned the offensive side of the ball, not particularly impressive in terms of eye popping numbers. I would go as far to say that Sauce Gardner and Tariq Willen are already two elite cornerbacks, or at least on the cusp of elite. That's that's how impressive they've been to me. And speaking to Tariq Willen, um, I know this is probably going against what you thought I'd be saying. Tariq Willen is a guy who, like you mentioned, it was totally raw. His draft, where he was drafted, taking a chance on him, was entirely based on the frame and the athleticism he had. It's like, I'd almost compare him. He kind of reminds me of Christian Watson on the offensive side in terms of where Christian Watson's big and fast, and that's kind of what everyone's trying to chase because those are that's cool. But he was just so rough around the edges that I, I didn't see it happening this year. Like you said, I, it felt like a project thing. So for him to step in and be fantastic, fill the void of, of Pro Bowl caliber DJ Reed for the New York Jets, big, big time. Um what I will say is Sauce Gardner is the better player. Um, Sauce Gardner, when you look at more stats regarding him getting thrown at, not necessarily the interception numbers, in terms of catch rate allowed, he's seventh in the whole league. Pa- uh, opponent passer rating, he's number six. Um, his coverage rating uh, is like top 10. You look at pass breakups, he's number one in the league. Uh, he's just, he's done it all. And he does it. It's not necessarily gaudy stats, but you just look through the Jets game logs and and you consistently see that the wide receivers that he's generally lined up against consistently have one of their worst games. That's that's the Sauce Gardner effect. He's already at a point where you can confidently put him on an island. I mean, you look at there was there was he's not perfect. You can definitely see some lapses. Um, He. Some people, he's a little handsy, but I think that's overblown. And I think people, I, I think people are so like focused on everything being pass interference these days. I think that's overblown, but the guy just to step in like this and so quickly be able to take on this responsibility in terms of being such a shutdown man corner, being able to take on the best, you know, he, he's already that guy. It's like, Though you know it was all hyped up, Justin Jefferson versus Sauce Gardner. Granted, DJ Reed also played on him, but you look at like Tyree Tyree Kill. Um, okay, 
this might be a little bit of narrative balling because it was the game where Skylar Thompson came in, but Tyreek Hill had one of his worst games of the year. Um, you look at the Bengals, for example, Jamar Chase uh, wasn't the leading receiver. He had six catches for 29 yards. What Sauce Gardner does is just so fantastic. And I think in the he's just so consistent. Um, I think he was technically credited with giving up a touchdown, but it was more of a miscommunication. So technically that's tarnished. Um, with all of that being said, I understand why Tariq Woolen it is a viable candidate for defensive rookie of the year. And I think ultimately it's really just I, I don't think you can go wrong with either of them. I think for as much debate as it's gonna get into and as much as I'm sure that you see on Seahawks Twitter the propaganda for for Tariq Wallen. And as much as I see on Jets Twitter the propaganda for for Sauce Gardner, I think we got to think about just how fantastic and and impressive it is that both of these guys are are so solid. So with that being said, I think Sauce Gardner is the better player. I think Sauce Gardner will end up being the better player overall, but I'd give this award to Tariq Wallen, if that makes any sense. Um, uh, it does. It does. I read you loud and clear. Um, yeah, I think that was a lot more, a lot more civil than you might have expected. I, I really thought that you were going to be the major sauce truther, and I don't think that's a bad take because I think, I think the majority of people would take sauce over Woolen right now. Um, but considering a lot of awards are a lot of awards are based on on counting stats, there's really not a lot of great ones for cornerbacks, and interceptions is one that they'll like pretty quickly turn to. And Woolen obviously has the advantage there. I, I, I like. I don't think Sauce over Gardner for this this award is a bad opinion by any means. But but I, I like Woolen more, and and I think liking Sauce more is certainly not some like unagreeable take. Yeah. Okay. Our last two. These these are definitely not uh, based on stats entirely. NFL Coach of the Year. This year's Coach of the Year award is going to Mike McDaniel of the Miami Dolphins. And, and the reason for that is because he has completely turned this team into a very legit contender when I think most people had them missing the playoffs or at least being like fringe wildcard contenders. Uh, but the Dolphins look so awesome right now. And, and the stuff that he's doing with his scheme is just like, it's so fun. Um, he's a great personality too on the sidelines. And I think that a lot of people or, or the voters, at least for this award, um, they really like seeing stuff like that. And so, so I think, um, I think that that's really going to appeal to them. But, but when you look at this team, he's made Tua just look like this absolute threat as a quarterback. When I think most people know that he's not, uh, going out and grabbing Tyree kill was a really awesome move. Uh, the running attack looks, looks a lot better than most people thought it would, Mike McDaniel is just, he's really fun. He's a new style of coach that I don't think people have really seen before. Um, if, coming from coming from the Shanahan tree, uh, he, he's doing a lot of stuff very similar to Shanahan, and, and he's having some very real success with it. I don't really have a lot to say about this, but yeah, uh, McDaniel is my coach of the year. I think McDaniel is a very valid pick. Um, he's not my pick, however. And I my pick is Philadelphia's Nick Sirianni. Not necessarily because I, I, I think not necessarily because they have the best record in football. I think going off that would, wouldn't really do justice to the job that he's done. Considering last year the the Eagles were able to make the playoffs, um, and, but it was largely off of kind of just beating inferior teams, especially when the NFC beast was especially down last year. Um, and just 
similar to the way that you Mike McDaniel deserves credit for for making Tua look good. I mean, Jalen Hurts, the the transformation to that, he's an an MVP candidate as well. And the way that the offense is something, and obviously you have to give some of that credit to acquiring a fantastic receiver in A.J. Brown. But for them, I I think people like the Eagles. Like I thought the Eagles were probably a playoff team. But for the Eagles to be in position to probably be a one seed, uh, it's just, it's hard for me not to give it to Sirianni, I think, behind him. I would say McDaniel following, and then uh, O'Connell makes a decent argument with Minnesota in terms it feels like Minnesota's had the the talent. Like, their roster isn't much different, but I think for them to finally take this jump uh, speaks to him. But, yeah, my my pick will be Nick Sirianni. And last but not least, comeback player of the year. I have a hunch. There's one correct choice here, and it's it's the guy – who has yet to write back Geno Smith. Now, a lot of people have this major misconception that you have to have some kind of injury to be to be the comeback player of the year, and that's just not true. When you look at the, the basis of the award, uh, there's plenty of guys that have won it that have not been, been any kind of injury-prone player or have come off some like big ACL tear or something. Geno Smith was, was viewed as, as a major bust and, and a backup quarterback for – the first 10 years or so of his career. Uh, he's managed to overcome that this year. Pete Carroll finally gave the guy a chance, and he is playing like an absolute franchise quarterback right now. Um, he's hit some some absolutely awesome throws, not as toolsy as he used to be when he came out of this draft class. He's not insanely mobile, uh, decently big arm. Uh, but the thing that I think is really great about him is, is just how polished this dude really is. The pocket poise is some of the best I've ever seen. And when you go from watching Russell Wilson just stand in the pocket and or, or just flail around until he takes a really long sack, it's a really nice change to see someone like Geno Smith who's willing to step up and, and take a shot and not be afraid of getting hit. Um, he, he looks so awesome right now. Uh, this Seahawks team was supposed to be like an absolute bottom feeder, and he's made us legitimate playoff contenders. Geno Smith, without a doubt, is your comeback player of the year. Yeah, to be honest, I still don't really know what the qualifications are for comeback player of the year. It feels like they're kind of just made up as we go, whether it be injury yeah, it's, or it's very confusing. Like, 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 I feel like what right, right when Ryan Tannehill won it, that was more of an example of, of coming back in terms of not being great to playing well. And then we've also seen it being injury, um, but it doesn't matter. It's Geno Smith. I mean for this guy to do what he's doing. It's not like he's average. He has been fantastic. Um, leading this, it's, it's, and it's not even just the base narrative of, oh, he's been a backup for a while, now he's starting. Uh, he took a Seahawks team that everyone expected to be terrible, and it has them in a playoff spot right now. Um, and and I don't really know if there's much more to say to that. I su- the only other somewhat viable candidate is Saquon, but I, I don't think Saquon can hold a candle to, to Gino in this. And yeah, I, I think we covered it all. Do we have you have anything to add before we get out of here? I do not think so. Yeah, okay. I'm gonna I'm gonna tee this up for you for for the shameless plugs. Let's hear it. Oh, yeah. Where do we need okay. to send people? Um, the first one, the first one is, is the brand new YouTube. Um, made my first ever video about about two weeks ago. 
and and we're sitting it, it's uh it's about Jalen Carter versus Will Anderson who is the best prospect in this draft class sitting at about 25,000 views right now uh which I feel pretty good about for my first video um I intend to continue that a little bit more I just I can't make them very frequently because uh, you know with school and everything they take so long to make it's a very very large process um I have one uh, coming up, I'm, I'm about to start the, the scouting process pretty soon. I'm going to do one about the big three of, of the quarterbacks in this draft class, that being Bryce Young, C.J. Stroud, and Will Levis, and analyze those guys. Um, so, yeah, that's what I'm pretty excited about right now. Uh, that is J-Pow NFL, J-P-O-W NFL, and then Twitter and TikTok, same thing, J-P-O-W NFL. And those are the plugs that I have. It's fantastic. Most, most of his stuff's good. Some of it's terrible, but most of it pretty good. So it's awful. Some of it's terrible. Um, to me, check out the blog, the retro.blog or the retro.wixsite.com. Um, the Instagram at the dot red shirt. And yeah, that'll just about conclude this episode. Thank you guys for listening and we'll see you next time.